This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome to the podcast. I'm with Chris Klug, who is a tax attorney with EKSV Legal in DC. Thank you for being my guest today, Chris. Uh, thank you for having me, Gary. I'm glad to be on. Thank you. Um, what made you decide to get into uh, being a tax attorney? Uh, well, my father uh, was a tax attorney, so growing up when he had some side projects, uh, I could do some research in college and work with him. And when I got into law school, uh, you know, I took a tax course and I, I liked it. And what I found with tax, once you learn the rules and you can kind of think it inside and out, uh, you, when start, people start talking about various business transactions, you kind of run the tax implications in your head. And to me, it's fascinating. It's kind of like every kind of transaction is a puzzle. There's no one kind of right answer to everything. And so once I learned all the rules, it was very intriguing to kind of look at a transaction and try to research and come up with the best result. And so I've really enjoyed that. So is there any uh, particular specialty that you have in, uh, in, in tax? Yes, there is. Uh, so I have a strong background in all areas of tax. I would say I was a tax professor for uh, about a year and a half and, you know, really got down the rules for corporate taxes. But my kind of niche practice uh, is international tax, both at the corporate level and with individuals. And with that and my estate planning background earlier in my career, I'm also really good with international estate planning and, you know, how how a foreigner should invest into the U.S. and likewise how U.S. companies and individuals should invest outside the U.S. And again, it's a you don't it's not just knowing the basic C corp or the corporation tax rules, the partnership rules, uh, because the U.S. adds all these complicated rules on top of it. Once they, there's a U.S. owner of a foreign corporation, and structuring makes a big difference from a tax standpoint. And so, I, I'd say I have a good niche practice in the international arena. Okay. So, you know, knowing what you know now after these years, uh, kind of if you could go back to when you first started out, what, uh, what, do you, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? It's uh, a good question. Now, I've taken six bar exams, and since I focused in tax, I never go to court. So <laughs> I have six licenses, <laughs> and I'm not sure how much I need them. Uh, so I spent a lot of time, you know, the one thing I, I think – now that I've focused my career, I, I've combined with other firms, uh, whether and professionals all around the world. That's one way I get my international clients is I have an international network of accountants and lawyers from around the world that I took time to meet and really work on. Um, I think when I was young, first starting out, um, 
I thought I needed to know everything. So real estate, I had to know all the rules about real estate law as well, family law. And, uh, you know, you kind of spread yourself thin uh, where now I'm very comfortable uh, focusing on tax. And when I have areas that jump outside of my practice area, it's better to coordinate with other professionals. It's a great way to develop refer referrals. Be, you know, I work with someone that does real estate. When they have a tax project, they come to me and you kind of stay in the area that you enjoy working. What are some of the questions that uh, clients should be asking you um, that they just never seem to ask? Yeah, especially in the international arena, there's just a lot of traps. Uh, a lot of, you know, uh, especially individuals, they don't think that, okay, I'm going to open an account in, let's say, Germany. What kind of reporting implications does that have in the U.S.? And the true problem in the international arena is uh, it's not that the, oh, having an account in Germany creates necessarily additional income tax, but not reporting the accounts uh, properly have significant penalties. Similar with a, a corporation uh, and uh, owning a corporation outside the U.S. And they just don't think about that. Uh, a non-U.S. retirement account, a retirement account owned by U.S. has some implications as well that IRS recently changed it because they were heavily penalizing people. But to me, when I talk to a client who's either investing into the U.S., uh, so a foreigner a company or individual investing into the U.S. or uh, or vice versa, a U.S. person getting assets, they really need to get advice before they make those investments, and they always do it afterwards. For instance, I have I'm working with a family uh, from China who's already moved to the U.S. and they have 300 million in assets. We could really load up a trust before they got here, and that would save them from about 50% reduction in. Uh, estate taxes at every level uh, of their generations as it goes on. And so you have a nice, uh, and I'm, with my programs I have, I'm able to pretty quickly kind of demonstrate that, yeah, I mean, if this grows at X percent and you can avoid estate tax on that 300 million of wealth, this is what you would end up. If it hits every generation, you have significantly less. And it's just, everyone's in such a rush, the world moves fast. Uh, that they overlook the tax uh, implications, and they and there there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for tax savings out there. Yeah, I I run into that quite often. Somebody after after they have the transaction or after they do something, they bring it in. It's like, oh, here you got to fix this now. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's called pre-immigration uh, tax planning for a reason. You got to do it before <laughs> you get here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What are some of the um, of your client's biggest fears and how do you help them overcome those fears? Yeah, so uh, so with the individual tax compliance arena is an easy one to illustrate where a lot of US citizens, a lot of my client base has been US citizens that live overseas, not knowing about all these international information reporting forms. And a lot of times uh, they're not directed to me initially. Uh, a lot of professionals like to really scare them that uh, you know, this can have jail time because you miss this form. The, you can have these huge penalties, and then they try to rack up all your – the fee to help you out of this is going to be some exorbitant amount. Now, those that exists, but it's more for the U person based in the U.S. who purposely evaded taxes, stuck money overseas. That's why there's these huge penalties. So the IRS has compliance programs, and a lot of times I can put the clients at ease because they've been scared out of their mind about what could come. Uh, and uh, – and the fact that I can tell them I've worked with a lot of clients, you know, with their CPAs to bring them into compliance uh, from the legal standpoint and let them know that 
they're not going to incur the huge penalties. And for the for the clients that actually live in Europe, a lot of times their taxes are higher than the U.S. So they don't end up owing any U.S. taxes. Like, are they going to throw you in jail if you don't even have an income tax liability? No. <laughs> um, for and then um, uh, for companies, uh, it's it's again um, kind of walking them through any treaty considerations, letting them know that we're setting it up. You know, your foreign company is going to own this U.S. company. Why we're doing it? How they can get money in and out? Uh, and that's one of their big concerns. Uh, there's a lot of times a big misconception that, oh, if I put money in the U.S., then it's subject to income tax. I don't want to do that. That's true if there's investments. Uh, if you're a foreigner or if it's a foreign owner of the income, you know, there's a lot of benefits. Uh, for the most part, no capital gains in the U.S. are subject, uh, that foreigner would be subject to tax on. Uh, but at the same time, it's not the gross amount you stick in the U.S. that's subject to tax. It's just income. So you're not losing money. If you're being subject to income tax, it means you're making money. So it's running, you know, especially in the Middle East, a lot of, they're not used to paying income tax, and there's a lot of misconceptions of what that means and how it works. So um, those are the questions I deal a lot with with clients, and then I, it's always nice to show them how, how bad the tax could be and then show them the way I do it, they're going to save some. <laughs> right, right. So looking at it based on, you know, you're dealing with a – a U.S. Uh, citizen that is dealing with, um, you know, either companies or investing um, abroad versus um, foreigners that want to invest in the U.S. I mean, kind of which, you know, which which one's more difficult? Um, which one do you like working with more, or does it really matter to you? I really enjoy working with both of them. Uh, they, it's uh, kind of a different. Uh, set up from um, from tax implications for the foreigner investing to the U.S., especially the private individual. It's kind of incorporating the estate planning aspect with the investment into the U.S. So, uh, you know, if they own real estate in the U.S. directly, then they're subject to the Foreign Investment Real Property Tax Act. But if they form a shell corporation that's outside the U.S. and they can avoid, um, they can avoid, sorry, I meant to talk about the estate tax. Uh, they can avoid the estate tax on that real property, and then you got to think about all the income tax implications. Uh, and for the U.S. citizen abroad, unfortunately for them, uh, but you know, let's just say a U.S. citizen living in Germany who has their own medical practice that's a corporation for U.S. tax purposes, essentially got to create a U.S. corporate tax return that's an informational filing on their individual tax return, run through these um, subpart F rules, more of these, even though it's in a corporate shell. There's slope through rules where income doesn't is reported by the U.S. owner. Uh, it's very kind of fascinating from a tax reporting standpoint and running through the income tax implications. I don't think my clients like it as much, but uh, from uh, if you're someone that likes uh, the tax rules, um, it's uh, fascinating that, that how they make the variations off the typical corporation rules. Um, unfortunate again to the to that person because he just has he probably pays more to have you know, to go through the U.S. tax implication than he does for the German. <laughs> right, right. In, in dealing with all of this, um, people that have been audited um, for whatever reason, what are you finding is the, the biggest thing that they're being audited for? So as far as the audits go, um, typically I like to get to them before they're audited. Well, uh, but if there isn't, <laughs> uh, the audits that do occur, a lot of it is, uh, not correctly reporting under the controlled foreign corporation rules, for example, and, you know, this income should have flown through. Um, there's issues with foreign tax credits. So 
that you can imagine that first the doctor I was talking about in the U.S., they have their own German taxes to pay. And the mechanism to avoid double taxation is foreign tax credits. And it's proper uh, computation, the foreign tax credits. And so the, the, the foreign tax credits is a big issue I see with the audits. Missing the FBAR filing is a big issue with the audit. So, sorry, FBAR is foreign bank account report. So if you have a bank account outside the U.S., you have to do this report. And it usually comes up when the person is being audited for something else. Oh, so you have, and so they're looking maybe into the person's partnership return. And then they go, well, do you have any foreign accounts? And a lot of people don't know about the reporting obligation. And then the IRS goes, well, look at about these huge penalties we can stick on you for not doing that report, which can be $10,000 per account per year uh, for six years. And notice I didn't say how much the balance in the account. That's for innocent non-filing of the FBAR. And so what I, what I, my experience, what the IRS tries to do when they catch that, even if the person is somewhat innocent, they have a reason to have a bank account there. It's not, we're not talking the Cayman Islands, uh, is that they use that as kind of a, uh, a stick to say, well, we'll hit you with all these penalties unless we kind of agree, agree on this point. <laughs> uh, and so it's, uh, being in compliance has a lot of benefits in this area. So with, with um, more and more people, you know, moving to the U.S., and, you know, they become, you know, they're born here, their parents are the ones who had immigrated here, they're born here, and they have still have family um, that's living in a foreign country, and they pass away. And the citizen here is inheriting whatever from the grandparents. Is that something that you help with? Is that how, how best would that be handled? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, person I think would certainly want to talk to a, a U.S. professional in that area that understands what happens when you inherit property from a non-U.S. person. Uh, first, you want to look at all the assets that are coming to that U.S. person to determine, do we have any of these controlled foreign corporation issues? Uh, are there going to be foreign bank accounts with have to deal with at least for one year? Do they want to keep the foreign investments due to the, uh, you know, the tax issues in the U.S.? And then from a pure kind of estate uh, planning, and I walk this through with clients a lot, it's not as difficult as a, you may think, um, because the U.S. Uh, imposes an estate tax, not an inheritance tax. So we look to the person that they're inheriting from, and if that and that person, who's the non-U.S. person, determines whether there's any U.S. estate tax. So that U.S. person could uh, inherit hundreds of millions of dollars of assets, and, not, and there'd be no U.S. estate tax on it. Uh, but you do have to file a special return, uh, special form of your income tax return to simply put the value of the assets that you received. Uh, and I think if you conceptually think about it, the idea of the, the, uh, the tax code is we want more assets in the U.S. to tax. So to inc do not to discourage those non-U.S. parents from sending money to the U.S. to their U.S. children, uh, you know, the, that impediment is removed that Yes, you can give them all you want, <laughs> as long as it's non-U.S. based that site is assets. Now, do they, does the, the individual here have to worry about, um, you know, if they're receiving, you know, just say cash from their parents, their parents are sending them cash and it's over the $15,000 uh, gift tax um, limit, do they have to, does the individual here have to worry about it? Uh, so we would look at the, the parents again. So the gift tax, you look at the person making the gift and they're one subject to tax. And this is, that's a very good point because it's a mistake that's made a lot. What ends up happening is invariably that 
those parents will open up a U.S. account, and then they'll make the gift from the U.S. account. That U.S. Since they transferred the money from a U.S. account in their names to the child to their account, that would be subject to U.S. gift tax, and there's no gift tax exemption for a non-resident. Whereas if they transferred the money, I should say it depends on whether you think that's a tangible or intangible transfer. So uh, the IRS has taken the view that a wire from a U.S. account to another account, it was in a, you know, like a technical advice memorandum, is a, is a transfer of tangible assets, as if you dropped a duffel bag of cash at their doorstep and left. Uh, whereas if that money came from an account outside of the U.S., not an issue at all. Uh, so the form and where uh, assets are coming from makes a big difference. Another one I would um, uh, point out, too, is uh, a foreigner who owns U.S. stock can gift the U.S. stock and not be subject to U.S. gift tax, whereas if they die holding the same stock, it's subject to estate tax. So it's just kind of knowing the rules. Uh, they don't always make sense or seem like they go together, you know, you would think they'd be treated the same way. So I guess hearing you and what you're saying, so um, are you saying a lot of this really comes back to just more reporting than it is actual paying tax when it comes to, to transferring assets in? Correct. Yeah. So a transfer in this type of thing where we're talking about the parents in the foreign country is. Right. Um, and again, there's a lot of traps for the unwary. So it's, you know, especially where significant assets are at stake, it's a good idea to um, uh, contact a professional uh, that knows how these rules work. Now, again, this is another area I'm glad you brought it up where clients do the transfers first and ask me what happened. Uh, <laughs> and can we fix it? And I just, yeah, have to, have to run through everything with them and say, no. Uh, now, whether what they do uh, on their tax returns, I don't know. Um, I I tell them how, what they need to do. Right. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people are honest and want to report correctly, but I'm sure people who've gotten my advice run off and just you know don't uh, do what they should. But I I, I don't say I, a lot overstating it, but you know, sure. Uh, they feel like they get a a mulligan, I should say that they didn't know the rules. So um, now that I know them, I, I'll do it right going forward, type of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So to, that was kind of going to be my next question. It was, you know, you being the advisor for somebody, obviously, you know, you want them to come to you, you know, ahead of time. Um, if they come to you, you know, this type of a, a, an issue, how long is the process from kind of the time that they come to you to the time, you know, it's clear for them to you know, transfer the money or, or whatever it is from uh, someone in a foreign country? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. Um, if we're talking about kind of the gift tax type of scenario, that's quick. Uh, because I can just say, where are the assets? What are we transferring? And how's that, how's that transfer occurring? And, um, and, and then I can say, well, instead of it coming out of a U.S. account, we can avoid any implication of gift tax, send it from uh, the account, let's say, in China. And if it's, um, you know, depending on what the assets are, uh, you know, just focusing on what they're transferring and going through the rules with them. So for me, that that's not a big part of it. Now, again, if you're going to transfer significant assets to a child, uh, you know, millions of dollars or whatever, you want to do it in an intelligent way. So why would you give it to a, the child outright uh, where you, we can, they can form a trust for their child 
the child can be the trustee, the only beneficiary, and that trust can be asset protected, uh, protected from divorce, uh, protect, you know, protected from any creditors. And you can make it into one of these generational trusts where it's not getting hit at estate taxes at every level. So there's a kind of two parts, you know, the basic gift where there's not really, the child has no real estate tax implications to the basic gift or to the large gifts where you want to do more sophisticated planning uh, because you want to protect the wealth. Right. What, um, so, you know, what's your ideal client right now? What, what, is, what does that look like? Uh, so my, yeah, I have a couple of um, buckets, I would say. So my ideal client on the individual level are um, uh, clients with international assets or foreigners looking to invest in the U.S. Right now, I, uh, I went to China uh, late last year and did some presentations. And, you know, China, a lot, a lot of people are becoming wealthy there. And did uh, a, a decent bit on asset protection trusts in the U.S. And, you know, for a lot of people who live outside the U.S., they're looking for privacy, they're looking for asset protection, and security of, of the financial markets. Now, none, none of the you know, financial markets now are all, all, all over the place, but I'm getting a lot of clients who are wealthy uh, and want to create these types of structures, and the U.S. right now is the place for privacy. Um, we, have bio, uh, we don't exchange information with other countries the way that we force them to exchange with us. And due to that, uh, privacy is a big thing. And with clients from certain countries, part of the concern is they're not hiding assets. And I do a screening process to make sure I'm not dealing with someone who's trying to um, hide assets. It's for people who've legitimately made their money. But their concern is if we bring it back to our home country, could we be subject to kidnapping if people find out how wealthy we are? Could we be subject to um, government just saying, hey, we want 90% of your assets? Uh, so... By putting, having a pot of wealth in a, uh, another country is a big deal to those clients. And then on the corporate side, it's really companies that have international transactions. And, you know, I really enjoy working out how to structure those transactions, whether it's U.S. companies going outside. Uh, so I, I'd say those are my key areas I'm working with right now, kind of the, the uh, high, high net worth uh, international client and then companies with international transactions. Yeah. So these ideal clients that, that we're talking about now, how what's the, what's the first steps that they need to take, um, you know, before they come to you, um, and then reach out? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, you know, someone with has, that has no U.S. connection or has no interest of having any U.S. investments or anything. Um, uh, I think first is to establish. You know, do you have something that has U.S. implications, uh, tax implications, or you know, state planning in implications? And then, you know, the way I work is I look at clients. I, I like clients to come back to me on a yearly basis or you know, periodically. So I, my goal is I want I don't demand an upfront fee for the initial conversation, right? I want to develop the relationship. Tell them the rules, and I don't say you only get a half an hour to talk to me. To me, I, I want the relationship to be long term. Uh, so I don't say, oh, you're half an hour's up, boom, cut you out. Uh, and, and typically, the clients in this area have talked to a number of professionals already. When they come and talk to me, they kind of see the value. Uh, they understand that they can see that I've worked a lot more in this area than others. And um, uh, it's, you know, so I've developed, so as far as uh, what they should do is establish that they have some kind of uh, kind of U.S. tax structuring issue that they uh 
that they need to work out and then, you know, come to me or another professional, but, you know, get the information. Don't do everything and then uh, then come to us and say, how do we fix it? <laughs> okay. What's the, um, what's the biggest challenge that you're, that you're facing now? You know, it's interesting because obviously we, we're, we're talking during the time of a pandemic, but I, having an international client base, it hasn't affected me that much because I was already doing a lot of meetings through video conferencing, through the phone. A lot of work is, you know, information through email. Um, but the biggest challenge right now, you know, we're learning to deal with it, but my team is, uh, my team is not, we're not in the same office space anymore. Uh, so it's dealing with how do we get the work done and how do we do it uh, as efficiently as possible. And so that, that's been a different time. I think uh, the other challenge is obviously people's minds are elsewhere. You know, they're not thinking about immigrating to the U.S. Companies have put growth plans on hold because we're in uncertain times. What's going to happen? You know, obviously the business world's going to be a little different after, uh, you know, I don't think there's be exactly back to normal. Uh, and so, you know, I had a couple of clients that were either having their companies acquired or they're looking to do mergers and acquire other companies and they put it on hold because, you know, if you're having your company acquired, they're going to look for a discount. Say, so, hey, well, you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so my biggest challenge right now is kind of what's kind of coming through the pandemic and what we're going through right now uh, with COVID-19. So um, what would you like to share with, with our listeners that I haven't, haven't already asked you? Well, what I would like to say is uh, through um, our the attorneys at our firm have come from larger law firms and we can handle everything from corporate to securities work and tax. Um, what I, I, what we try, how we try to differentiate ourselves from the big um, corporate firms is that we're going to be really responsive to you. We're going to customize our work to kind of how the, how we think clients want, you, you know, if you have an emergency, you can contact us and we're going to be right on top of it. Uh, we have the knowledge skill, of a, uh, you know, a big firm, but there's a reason we're not part of a big firm anymore. We, we like the boutique setting and we think we can serve our clients better. Uh, for example, I'm allowed to give initial free consultations. <laughs> and, um, you know, we really want uh, our clients to think that we're involved either in their business or in the well-being kind of of their family. We're not here just to create paper, but we want to uh, we want to make sure we're doing the best for our clients and, you know, make uh, make sure we're responsive and we're quick to get their work out um, at a high level. Great. Right. Um, one last plug for your for your company. Um, you, have, you have website address or anything that people can go to to uh, get more ad, uh, more information on you? Absolutely. So we do have a website and it's uh, EKSV legal.com and the other thing you can know we have uh, offices both in Washington DC and in Miami and we have a up council relationship with the firm in New York City and we closely work with firms in California and I'm licensed like I said in a number of jurisdictions uh, so we we can get work done in a number of uh, a number of different areas <laughs> All right, Chris, thank you very much for uh, being on our podcast today and uh, look forward to working with you in the future. Sounds good, Gary. It was great to meet you. I'm glad to be on the podcast and certainly look forward to working with you in the future as well.
This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.